Are, are, you, are you organized? I'm organized. Are you organized? <laughs> okay, we're in week three. Uh, last week I said I would, look, I would probably talk about how the world was changed through hospitality. I'm not going to do that, actually. I'm going to just jump into a challenge week. And Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you want to go there. I'm going to start about verse 25. So please uh, go there, find your page number. If you know Scripture at all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, New Testament, part of the Gospels. Look, brilliant writer. Very detailed doctor, scribe, um, just go straight to there. So the table, we want to share with others the reality of the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's about here at Vineyard Church in We are a family. We're a family with a purpose. We're a family that wants to be with God. We're a family that wants to be like Jesus. And we also want to do the things that he does. And so we're talking about the things that he does this week. And one of the reasons why we want to do that is because we have a belief system that the good news is not just good news for us. It's not just a, gra- a grace that we have received, but a grace that we give away to others, a grace that we want to extend to people here near and far. We want people to experience the reality of the kingdom. And I've been saying over the last two weeks, repeat, 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 that we live in a post-Christian age, not that we forgot Christianity, that we don't have Bibles or don't mention of Jesus, or all of a sudden we've had amnesia and we can't remember anymore. That's not the case. The reality is that we live in a culture now where people want the reality of the kingdom without Jesus the King. They want the the results of that. They want the experience of joy in an unhappy world. They want the experience of peace in a world that's riddled with anxiety. They want social justice when they look at the world and they see the the things that are done uh, to people, especially those who are in the purse of the poor, that we want to see justice. And all of your humanity, all of the people that you walk side, uh, side with each day and you, that you rub shoulders with, they all want that. They want social justice. They want people to experience peace. They want to experience peace. We're, we're so fed up with being sold to, and we live in a, a world of sales pitch. We don't know what truth is anymore. Re, the, the, the truth is people are crying out for truth. People are crying out for reality, and they want to experience that, but they don't want to experience Jesus. And that's what it means to live in a post-Christian culture. So we have a dilemma. Like I said, we have three options. Option number one, let's build a fortress from the world and let's just do church together and loving each other. I quite like that actually, but it's not an option. Option number two is that we, we change things around and we make it palatable for, for those to hear the gospel and we sort of brush Jesus, airbrush Jesus out. We Photoshop him and we make it more palatable, you know, and, and, and you know, what, what, if that works for you, then try that. But that's not an option either because Jesus wants us to experience freedom, the freedom he had for us in the beginning. And to do that, we need to encounter Jesus and accept all that he has for us and all the things that he says and does, right? So no option there. Up to the third option is the one that we're actually doing. We know that Jesus hasn't left us, that Jesus is still here, that the Holy Spirit is with us. So therefore, there is a chance, a good chance, if you're a betting person at all, the odds are very, very high indeed. In fact, the odds of gambling are very, very low that we could help people to encounter Jesus. If we look at the life of Christ, the words and the message that he, that he gave us and gave to his followers that are still real today, and also the ways that he did it. Jesus had models, he had methods, he had practices. And this is a practice that we're taking on board here at Vineyard Church Dungan. And this practice is called hospitality. And I'll just give you a quick history. The word hospitality is a word that derived from, um, from Christians, really. Where we get our word ho- hospital, hostel, 
and hospitality. They all come from the word hospitality. And you know where that all got started? That all got started around a table of first century Christians who loved Jesus Christ and who decided they were going to devote themselves to following Jesus. And what they did is they began to open up their homes. They, 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 they leaned into what the Father was doing. They leaned into the practice of what Jesus was doing. And then all of a sudden, society started to watch this. And around the 14th century, then what happened is we had institutions like we know today. And that is just fast forward. So anybody book on Airbnb recently? Don't even know what Airbnb is, hey. <laughs> a hotel. Anybody been in a hotel recently in the last 10 years? Well, that's happened in the 14th century, okay? Hospital. Anybody ever been in a hospital? You don't speak up during this conversation. You will be in... No, no, no. Just, that's slightly aggressive. That's slightly aggressive. There are hospitals. And so that all came from Jesus' practice of hospitality. And so we have something beautiful. We have something in our heritage, and we want to relive it, not relive it, but we want to revive it and engage in it and lean very much in it. So we're going to look at the book of Luke, chapter 10, um, and we're going to start at verse 25. Are you ready? So Luke, chapter 10, verse 25, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. His teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what's written in the law? Knowing he was a good teacher, he replied, how do you read it? Jesus said. How do you read it? So it's like, how do you see the scriptures? What's your interpretation of the scriptures, scholar? Those who, who read scripture, what's your, tell me, what do you see? I love how Jesus answers questions with questions. How do you read it? What do you see? And so the, he responds, he answers actually from a quote from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and also Leviticus 19. Let me read it for you. Let's, let's go there. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, it says, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's not looking for the right answer, by the way, here. The, the, the text is very clear. It tells us that he, he wanted to take a religious box, right? He just wants to tick that box. He wants to justify himself. He wants to prove that he's right. He wants to tick the box and move on. He's not really interested in loving God with all his heart and soul and mind, as I read the text. He's not interested in his neighbor at all. He's wanting to justify himself. And we can all be guilty of doing that when we read the ancient scriptures. We just want to sometimes tick the box. What do I need to do, Jesus? Help me. You know, this relationship with you, this God thing with you, help me tick the box. But Jesus is not a tick-the-box God. Christianity is not a tick-a-box family. You can make it that, but that's not what it's meant to be. It's relationship. It's family. It's heart and soul. And Jesus goes to the very core of it, actually quoting the, sh the shalom of God, that we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our being, everything within us, physical, emotional, spiritual. We love God, and we also love our neighbors and ourselves. So he wants to tick the box, okay? So first... 30. Remember, Jesus is still answering the question. He's still answering the question of who is my neighbor. And sometimes we forget that. We just read scripture, we go on. But the question still remains, and I want you to keep that front and center of your mind and your thinking today. The question today is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus reminds me a lot of Michelle Scott. In many ways, loyal and loving and kind and devoted, but also that if you ask a question, they seem to go into detail. 
Like, it's like there's no short answer. It's like they just want to give you the, the long stretch of it, you know. So if you ask Michelle, you know, what did you eat for breakfast today? Well, Michelle said, well, I was born in 1972 in September. And so it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit like that. So Jesus, is, he's, there's no quick straight answer with Jesus. You know, I was going to say the devil is in the detail, but that wouldn't be good with Jesus because he was in opposition to the enemy. So uh, the detail is the detail. And so the story begins, and Jesus begins to tell a story. And I think it's a real story. I think it's a true story. Story. I think it's a racial justice story of his time that he's telling, and he begins to tell the story. Are you ready? Verse 30, heads down, tails up. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a well-known story. A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he was traveling, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he, he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said, and whenever I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you've occurred. Here's the story. Most scholars believe this is just not just a parable, a made-up story. Most people believe that this is a well-known story. And you could, you know, like stories that people would be telling now and back in the day when the social, when the, the, uh, Martin Luther King was, was marching for, for rights, for civil rights, for, for people that were um, in apartheid and people that were abused. And so there would be story after story, the Alabama story, the bus story of people who were put on the line and put their lives on the line for, for social justice. So this is what most people would say that this is. And so we read this, verse 31 and 32, we re- you've heard this story and we just... We, we, we think that it's a good story and that, that it's, it's an easy story. And the, these guys are religious people. They should have known better. They should have been better. They should have been kinder. They should have been the people that helped this poor robber. And, and then along comes this Samaritan and the Jews and the Samaritan don't really get on. And, and who, hey, guess what? Guess who's the guy that turns out to be the good guy in this story? It's a Samaritan, right? So before we get all cocky and sort of look down our nose at the priest and Levi, let me give you a bit of background knowledge to this conversation, to this piece of scripture. The Levite and the priests, they work in a place called the temple. The temple is in Jerusalem, and most of those people were lay people. They got paid by food, and uh, so there was a hierarchy. You had a Levite who could do all this big stuff. You had a priest, he could do some stuff, and then you had a lay person who would handle the sacrifices, pass them to the priest, and the priest would give them to the, the Levite. Are you with me? So there's a hierarchy system. And so most of the people that lived in that culture in that time, they lived in Jericho, which was happened to be about an 18-mile walk. And it was called, it was nicknamed, I think it was called, if I can find I did put it down in my notes, but I've probably gone past it now. It was called the place of blood. And it was just, it was a well-known place. And it was a dangerous place to travel. So what would happen is that they would work probably um, two-week shifts. Two-week shifts. And uh, they're on there. They're probably finishing up their two-week shift. They're tired. They're exhausted. And they get paid by food. So the guy's walking down the street, as I imagine it, um, he's walking down the street, and um, he sees this guy who's bleeding. So there's this other problem, right? There's this Levitical problem 
of food being clean and unclean. You've just knocked off your two-week shift. You're heading home to your family. You've got your wages in the arm. The wages says you've got a pound of mints, right? Doggerty's mints, best mints from dairy. So you've got the pound of mints in your arm. You see the guy on the other side. He's bleeding out. And all of a sudden, you're thinking to yourself, I've just finished two weeks of work. Here's this guy. He's bleeding. If I go anywhere near him, the food is unclean. And I've got to go home to the wife and the wains and say, two weeks work. What have you got to show for it? None. So I don't know about you, but if it's me and I'm walking down the street, and I know none of us Christians in the 21st century would ever do this. When we see somebody in need, you're like, didn't see it, didn't see it. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. I'm getting home. I've worked, and we start to justify, I've got a family. Yes, use wisdom here. I've got to provide. I'm the head of this house. I've been working two weeks. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. You know what I mean? And so, you know, let's just keep walking, Jason. Let's just keep walking. You've worked well all week. You've answered the telephone calls. You've actually replied to the message machine. You've replied to people's emails. You've went to the hospital a couple of times. You've done a good week, Jason. It's Saturday morning. Football is beginning. Man, don't look there. Don't look at the need. Keep walking. It's your day off. It's Sabbath. You don't want to engage, right? And that's what it's like. The story is slightly different now, isn't it? The story is slightly different. See, oh man, we judge so much, don't we? Like we call Thomas the doubter. <laughs> it's like, all right, sorry, I'm not going to go there. It's a whole different conversation. And then there's the social, it's a twist in the story. Because I've said there's a hierarchy, so you have a Levite, a priest, and you have a lay person. And so the story goes that you're listening to Jesus. Jesus is telling the story, and he's telling the story of the, the Levite comes along. He does nothing. He walks on. Two weeks' work. He's wanting to get home. The priest comes along. And who else then? Who's the third person in the story? If you're a Jew, you're listening to the story. Who in your mind's third character in the story? The lay person. Right? And Jesus twists the story, and the jaws drop, and they go... It's a bit like, you know, Louise's engagement and Ruth, at the, at, when she heard it, she went. <laughs> well, this is this type of story, Ruth. It's a jaw-dropping jaw moment for these people that are listening to the story. And then they're expecting, and then the lay reader came along. The life group leader. Huh? The setup team guy. Jason walked on. <laughs> Michelle walked on. Because she's a little below me, you see, in the hierarchy of the system. And then, and then the Samaritan comes along. Uh, there's a problem here because there's a bit more than just we don't get on with, Samaritans don't get on with the Jews. There's a story here is that the Syrians captive, or took captivity of northern kingdom of Israel. Anybody like history, 1721. And uh, they were a certain people of a nation there was a certain people of the nation of Israel, they actually stayed behind. They were, they were a remnant. They were those who were left behind. And then what happened is these people intermarried because they, had, they want to populate, they want to have families, they want to have a life. So they intermarried with Assyrians. The problem with Maria and Assyrians, Assyrians were the oppressor in the story of Israel. So it's like he's married ISIS. You know, they've married the oppressor, the terrorist. They've, the, 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 the Samaritan people, these Jews that were left behind, not Samaritans, these Jews were left behind, they ended up marrying the oppressors. Huh? Hard for us in Northern Ireland to wrap our heads around that, isn't it? I jest. And so Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds, as terrorists. 
There's racial discontent here. And who does Jesus make the hero? I, I don't know if I would let Jesus preach here. I, I'm sorry, I've been thinking on Sunday morning, you know, like I, we, we do this when we bring people in to speak. We always, I hope they're good, you know, because like, I'm phenomenal. So don't, don't, <laughs> just joking. We don't want people to, um, to hear the wrong thing, you know, but can you imagine letting Jesus loosen your pulpit on Sunday morning? Huh? And be thinking, oh no, turning your Bibles to John chapter 14. Oh no. What's he going to say? And then he starts talking about money. Because <gasps> I talked about more than that more than other things. Can you imagine? You've only got 30 minutes, Jesus, now. And don't be talking about this or that. I'm digressing big time. Let me come back to the story. Jesus makes us smarter than the hero. And I love the story because the story, you couldn't. You want to disprove this book? This book is so earthed and so real because I love the guy's response, if I can see it. I was going to bring a big Bible today, not to show that it was holy, just because I could see it better. I'm struggling with this one big time. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, the question is, verse 36, are we okay? 10, look 10, 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And I love this here. He couldn't get the word out smarting. He didn't want to say it. He says, the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. <laughs> it's like, freaking sure, I'm not saying it. Huh? If I say it and somebody hears me saying it, then somebody's going to think that I agree with smartens and they're, you know what I mean? And he becomes a hero of the story and then like, what would it be like for me? Are we like that in Northern Ireland? We don't have a them and us mentality, do we? Stretching your imagination. I do understand that this morning. But please, work with me, work with me. See, I mean, Jesus is just brilliant at communication. He's, he's just actually even forcing the guy. He's saying, you're an expert of the law. You're the tick box guy. You want to do religion, but yet you're still caught up in politics and sectarianism, and you can't even say the words, Sir Martin. Yeah. Please, feel free to draw a line of comparison if you need to do that this morning. I'm not joking. So I want to go back to the question. And here's my challenge this week. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? See, here's what, what Jesus does. He, he does two things. He, he generalizes. All of a sudden, he makes... See, the Jewish people would have stuck with Jewish people and lived with Jewish people. And that's even hard to imagine, isn't it, in our culture, that somebody would live all in the same area. Am I stepping on toes? Are we okay? Do you still love me? Okay. Do I need to put a tin hat on? Am I okay? Am I going to get out of here alive? Has anybody touched my scooter? <laughs> he generalizes and he says, your neighbor, you thought your neighbor was. And all of a sudden, Jesus... He, he, he does it in a whole different, brilliant way. He says, now, let's make neighbor broader so there's no opt-out. Don't you love him? And then don't you not like it? Don't you want to take the box sometimes? Oh, come on. And give me the law any day. It's so much easier to do. I could do it. Probably be rubbish at some of it, but I could probably do most of it. But this stuff here that Jesus talks about, I struggle with it. Because there's no opt-out. And it's easy loving your neighbor until you loving your enemy until you actually have an enemy. <laughs> That's what I find. 
Oh, I'm great at telling you guys, love your enemy, love your neighbor. And then I have a, somebody that annoys me and bugs me. And then all of a sudden I'm like, suffering secretash. You no longer like it. And there's no opt-out of loving anyone. We carry the love of the Father. Romans tells us the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. Therefore, give it away. You've got the love of God. It's shed abroad in your heart. Therefore, Christians are the people who love everyone and anyone. There is no opt-out. There is no opt-out. Here, near and far is the expression we would use here in Vineyard Church, Dungannon. It's beautiful, the technology that we have. I was speaking to Avanesh Singh yesterday about the floods in India, and he's telling me about the, the new communities that they've just gathered near, um, up in Nepal. And all of a sudden, I wasn't going to India, but now all of a sudden I'm looking at flights and thinking, he says, I want to take you to these new communities. And I'm thinking, I want to meet these people who live in the borders, who live in the, the hills that have just found Jesus. Technology is absolutely brilliant. We love people. We can love people here, near, and far. God opens our eyes and gives us gifts and passions for people here. Some of you are people that are near, even just in, in Europe. And then some of us have, have passion for India and other parts of the world, like Uganda, or wherever your expression of love and heart is where the Father's taking you. And I think that many of us get that from, get this part of hearing the story, right? We get this. I, I honestly think we get this. We, we get that you love your neighbor, there's no opt-out. We've heard it in the Bible. You know, people quote it to you. Non-Christians quote it to you. You know what I mean? They, they know how you should live, so just watch. They tell you how you should live. Aren't they funny? Aren't people funny? People that don't go to church don't read the Scriptures, and they say to you, oh, but you're a Christian. You shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't say things about the referee. Derek Dickey. <laughs> you know, we had a cheap problem there when it comes to football. You're a Christian. See, the problem is, but here's the problem. I'm going to give you this big problem. The problem is now that, oh, who is my neighbor? My, my neighbor is now somebody who lives in India. But here's the problem with that is that our neighbor becomes everybody and anybody and then actually becomes nobody. You with me? No? Our neighbor becomes anybody and everybody. So in actual fact, so vague, so grand, so loving that Actually, it's a getting clause for me. I don't have to do anything because my neighbor is not actually, my neighbor lives next door to me anymore. God has removed that. There's an opt-out clause. My neighbor lives in India and I will pray for him. And I will pray for the enemy of my Indian Christian friends. Because I can do that. Because I'm not engaged emotionally. Well, sometimes I am. It just becomes just a nice, it's just all sort of nice and good thing. And then the second thing that Jesus does is Jesus individualizes. He gets specific. He gets specific about your neighbor from your enemy across the oceans to the person that you walk past on the road. You get it? He generalizes. He makes it no opt-out to be somebody from another culture. And then he says, but it's a guy that you walk past in the street. That's your neighbor. So all of a sudden it's like big and now it's become small. And there's absolutely no way out. Help us, Lord. And what if Jesus, here's the one I'm throwing out this morning. What if when Jesus said, love your neighbor, that was also your actual neighbor, neighbor. You know the person that lives next door to you? It's very hard for I understand Alan Sharon. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a higher bar when we talk about loving people and 
They need more grace probably than anybody. But <laughs> what if you actually met your next door neighbor? What if you met that? Here's my question or here's my thought. What if the first century Jews needed to hear your neighbor isn't the people who live close by you? And what if us people who live in the 21st century actually needed to hear that our neighbor isn't just someone out there, but the person right beside you? That, my friends, is deep. It is. It's to the core of Christianity and to the core of the gospel and to the core of who Jesus is. Can I say it one more time in case you're taking notes? Always the optimist, Jason. Always the optimist. What if the first century Jews needed to hear your neighbor isn't just the people who live close by you who are like you but actually are smart? And what if the 21st century Christian, you and I are sitting here today, this, us followers of Jesus, what if Christians needed to hear that our neighbor isn't just someone out there somewhere not like us but is actually right next door to us? So we're going to do a little imagination because we're called to imagine and to dream as followers of Jesus Christ. Dreamers are welcome here at Vineyard Church Dungannon. It's not a negative connotation. So I want you to think right now, I want you to think of the faces, the names of the people who live to your left of you, at your home place, or to the right of you. And some of you who actually are from the agriculture community, the person across your field. <laughs> who is it? Who lives next door to you? Who lives to the right of you? Who lives across the street from you? What's their faces like? What's their names? Do you know their children? Have you ever had a conversation with them? You know, summertime's a great time. We get out of the car and we have to engage, you know. Uh, but in wintertime, we can get away with less. Just joking. You people aren't like that. But who is the person? Can you pitch them right now? Do you, do you know their names? Do you know their children's names? Do you know anything at all about them? Let's think about that. Now, let's go back to the Scripture because this is absolutely brilliant. So here's the thing about ancient Scripture, right? When ancient Scripture was written by guys who wrote, like the guy Luke, who was a brilliant thinker. He's the detail guy. He's the Michelle type of guy. Abbott's in all the details. So John, you know, the Gospel of John starts in the beginning. It's like Star Wars credits coming up. Da, 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 da. It's like from a galaxy far, far away. It's like, it's, it's just spitting all over the place there. And so can you imagine it? He just like, in the beginning, God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right? But look, he's like, He's given us every piece of detail. But all these writers, the thing that we have nowadays in the, what we call a Bible, which is 66 uh, books, it's not a book, it's actually a library that we have. So it is a, it's, it's, it's a pretty big thing to get through this, this baby in a year because you're not just reading a book, you're reading books, okay? So we're reading this thing and we're encouraging you to read it. And so when, it, when they're written in those days, they just write, the scribe writes and he writes this whole epistle. And the thing that they didn't have in that day, uh, and even just shortly after that, when, when things started to come together. What I have in my Bible, I don't know about you, but see, what I have in First um, 38, I've got a wee heading above it. I've got a new wee paragraph. Have you got that in your Bible? You want me to give, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So you got a wee paragraph. It's all cool. Wee paragraph gives you a wee title. So you know what the next part of the story is. And you've got the wee numbers, and the numbers are brilliant, actually, because I can... Come here this morning and say, hey, let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 10. We're starting from verse 25. And we all can go there and read along together. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. But in the writer of this, there's no break. There's no break in the story. So he's gone from neighbor. He's gone from the good Samaritan, right? And then let's read together. Let me just read it. Actually, don't, you don't need to read it now. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he's on a road. This is brilliant, isn't it? The, the Samaritan's on the road. Jesus is now on the road. What does it say? 
He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Let's just stop there. Let's just stop there. And so this, remember the question, who is my neighbor? Still the same question, right? Jesus is still answering the same question. That's how I see it. He's still answering the same question. There's a, there has to be a connection in the ancient scriptures. Luke is making a connection. He's not just putting stuff in willy-nilly. He's actually intentional. God breathed, God inspired, God anointed. The word of God is God inspired, God breathed, God anointed. I don't think there's any actual coincidence here that all of a sudden Jesus is teaching us who our neighbor is and he's walking down the road. He's walking down that road, the blood cricket road where he's talking about the story of the Samaritan. He's talking about him going down that road. And then all of a sudden then he receives hospitality. He receives uh, the love of God in a practical way. And then Jesus is talking about him going down the road and he receives hospitality. And this time, it's in a home. And I love that simple, simple definition of what hospitality is. Martha opens up her home to him. Let it drop. Let it sink in. What if that was our definition of hospitality? Derek, oh, sorry to pick on you. We are good friends, right? Still. Derek opens up his home to him. Brian opens up his home to him. Samantha opens up her home to him. Definition of that. During the week, I had a Father Ted moment. I love Father Ted. I've watched every episode probably four or five times. And here... Is what I call a mad idea, Ted. <laughs> this is just mad. You ready? You ready? If we were in America, I'd say, buckle up. <laughs> buckle up, people. Are you ready? Holly, are your eyes open or closed? <laughs> are you buckled up? Are you buckled up? He's not speaking to me. So anyway, here we go. I've got this mad idea. I think it's biblical. I'm going to throw it out there. This is the making breaking point of Vineyard Church Dungannon as we enter this new season of followers of Jesus Christ. Being with him, being like him, doing things he does. You ready? Because I know what it entails. What if you and I opened up our houses and our homes. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. All that that involves. And we saw our homes, not as our own. Some of you ready? Thinking, I'm out. But it's outposts for the kingdom of God. And our tables and chairs and our living rooms and our rugs and our soft sofas and the Torah and the rip sofas as the ordinary tangible expression of service from God the Father to our neighbor. Now, Holy Spirit, would you just anoint that? God, would you make it a practice here? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate it? Would you breathe all over it? Would you get all over it? God, we don't want to play tick in the box, justification, Christianity. We don't want to get burnt out on religion, but we do want to take a walk with you. We want to bear your yoke that's easy, and we want to learn from you the rhythms of grace in this world that we live in. Love 
for our neighbor. To my experiences, and I'm guilty of it at times, to my experiences that the follower of Jesus who knows not yet, there really is no difference when it comes to the idea about our homes. There's not much difference. See, because we compartmentalize our Christian living to, you know, my, all of a sudden we do everything outside our home. That's our Christian world. That's our, and sometimes we're not helpful in the language that we use. Stay with me, folks, because this is very important. Those who want to be part of this family, clue into this part. If you're not interested, if you're interested in going to church, this is really not for you. But those who want to be the family of God, who are committed and devoted to one another, then buy into this part. Engage with me. We compartmentalize our lives so that mission is out there, that we go to mission, that outward focus is going somewhere and doing somewhere. And maybe we've been guilty, Michelle and I and the team here, of actually communicating that way. But what if mission was actually not going out there and going to and modeling something out there, but actually bringing the mission of Jesus Christ into the ordinary, into your home and actually bringing it with you? What if outward focused Christian living was that? Now, I know this conversation where it's going to go today. Some of us will buy into this and others won't. But I don't need everybody to do that to make this happen for, to turn the world upside down. I just need a few people that think this is mad, Ted. This is absolutely mad, Ted, that we no longer see our homes. Because this is what, see, most of the time my mates and me, were not very different when it comes to our houses and our homes. My home is my castle. And so we think that our homes are a place where we shut the world outside, that we come home from our 95, or today it could be your 3 to 11, whatever shift you work. And we come home from that, we're exhausted. And I understand all of that. And there is a time for rest. And there is a time for family. But what if your home, like we talk about all our gifts, you see, we, we take our gifts and our stuff that make us uh, sometimes put us up on the pedestal and we say that they're a gift from God and then we see this thing as our home and we never we never link that that might be a gift from God too but they're both are the same right the gift and the talent is a gift from God and also the resources that God gives you that's a gift from God too and therefore it should be used in that way so so like my friends we just use it as a place to binge out on Netflix right or rest, or, 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 or put on music, and it's all, it's all cool to do that, actually. And uh, it's a place for eating, it's a piece, place for sleeping, it's a place for, like, I've had a rubbish day, I've had a horrible day, let's close the door. And sometimes when it comes to me and my friends, there is absolutely no difference in how we view our homes. And yet when I read the ancient scriptures, even from 10, 25 to 38 and 39, and throughout the book of Luke, that's why Jesus is called a glutton and a drunkard, because what the, the scholars said, I think we quoted him a couple of weeks back, he's either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or eating a meal. That's his, he came to seek and save the lost, and he came eating and drinking. There is radically hospitality that changes the world and can change the world. And so I became convinced, even listening to other church leaders, I would listen to people that were really smart, smarter than me, that actually wrote books, and they would tell me, you know, make your home your castle. Make your home a sanctuary. And then I'm reading the book, and I'm thinking, that seems smart, that seems good, but it doesn't like seem what Jesus is saying. And it's certainly not the model of the New Testament. Homes are shelter. But what if it was a gift? And like I say, here at Vineyard Church, Dungan, we talk a lot about outward focus. You know, we say, uh, God, your kingdom come in Dungan and as it is in heaven. Your, your kingdom come in true and as it is in heaven. But what if we've missed a part that bringing the mission of faith, hope, and love was to bring it to your homes? That would be, that would be a radically outward focused thing. Wouldn't it? 
So I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easier for me to go to the street corner to model Jesus and hand out a bar of chocolate than it is for me to engage with my next door neighbor and to invite them into my house. Confessions of a Pastor 101. We're going to do a reality series, Michelle and I. The home became the place to invite others to experience. What if, it, what if it did become the experience of love and faith and hope and we actually brought mission back with us? Guys, we have never been so connected, you don't need me to tell you this, and yet so depleted in relationships. See, here's the thing. I'm blessed so much to the extent that I can forget all this stuff. I need to, I need to get focal in my thinking. I need, to, I need to get intentional. I need to get locked in. I need to get tunnel vision at times, even with this, because, see, I don't know about you, but I came from a Christian home that was a good Christian home, and, and I know how to do relationship. It's not being arrogant. I just know how to do relationship. My boys know how to do relationship. We, they know how to go out to somebody else's house. They know how to sit at a table. They know how to engage and have a conversation with adults because we've been, we just grew up like that. We had people in our home all the time. Our house was always an open house. I told you before, Dennis Scott was the most generous man I ever knew. And so if somebody came into our house and said they liked that, they went away with it. I'm trying to be like Dennis, but in the other way, I go in the other people's house now and say, I like that. <laughs> I see, I can miss it. I can miss it. I've been blessed so much to the extent that I forget. I don't see the epidemic of loneliness. But there is no epidemic of loneliness in Dungannon, Jason. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. People have never been more, de- more connected and more depleted than the relationships. We've never been more connected. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. World Wide Web, we're all connected, but we're all so depleted relationally. Why do you think we're, we're posting stuff? Why do you think it's a, it's a call out? Why do we, my perfect life. You don't see somebody's utility room pictures on Instagram. You see them with the perfect flat white, right? And the plate just, we move the plate over just a wee bit. Shells, you're Wilfred. So we move, we, move, we move the plate over, just move the wee plate over, and then you get your, your coffee. And then you line it all up. Or if you're a pastor and you're reading a really deep book, you take the paperback cover off it so it looks like a heart, so you can see the hardback, and that makes you really smart out there. So you place that and you say, some reading I'm doing this week for my new series. I've done that. (laughs) I no longer do it. It's beautiful because when you go into the world, you know, that's the world, people are like, Jason, what was that picture about? It's like, oh, you don't get it. You're not in our circle. (laughs) But what if people who are dying in loneliness or suffering and suffocating in loneliness, what if they're not just the widow who's sitting in the wee bungalow on her own on a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday night? What What if it's not that? What if? What if the loneliness is hitting the student who's living in halls? What if it's the young female professional who's climbing the career ladder, who's got enough dough and resources to make life happen, but yet is suffocating in loneliness. What if it's somebody who's got a thousand likes and they're drowning in loneliness? What if we are all connected but not in a relationship? And it's so easy to make the church an organization 
so easy to make this place a place of connection and yet be so fond of relationship, but not under my watch. So I don't care how, well, what's the word I'm using now? I'm, I don't mind. We're changing the word. My mentor has helped me to change the word, I don't care, to I don't mind. It's good, right? So here's my I don't mind moment. I don't mind how big this ship gets. She must always be relationally connect to family and to each other. If she's not, she's not biblical. She's not the church of Jesus Christ. Big words, Jason. Big words, but true words. If we're an organization, if this is a place for networking, well, that's cool. But go find another place to network. Go find a great club. Go and link it. Go and find a social medium where you can get connected. You know, you can get hooked up. But uh, if you want to do a relationship with one another, please stay. Please commit. Please see as your home is an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Let me finish up because we've got a picnic to go to and I'm stressed actually thinking about what other people's sandwiches are going to be like. Because <laughs> you know the way you like to choose before you actually commit. Um, again, I can miss it. We can miss it. See, we're in a great church. You, you, don't, you maybe not realize it. You know, you maybe think, you maybe, you maybe get discontented. You know, they've changed the coffee to the last and all of a sudden you're thinking of leaving us. <laughs> you know, there's an old church that does coffee beforehand and then there's churches that do coffee in the middle but we're doing coffee at the end because we want to connect with people. But we can miss it because this is a good place of connection. You guys do it well. And this is what I've noticed about you. I think if I was to, if I was to sum up this church with some text, some scripture, if scripture was to define the church, Vineyard Church, Sungannon, what would it be? Well, it would be, surely it would be in Galatians, where faith, nothing else matters except faith expressed in love. This would speak of Vineyard Church, Sungannon. And this isn't me bragging. This is you because I'm just one person in the family of God. And this is my role as pastor. So it's all you I'm bragging about. So I would say that's one. But here's another one. If I was to sum up Vineyard Church on Gannon in text and scripture, in ancient scripture, I would go back to the book of Psalms and I would say this about Vineyard Church on Gannon. I think they embody this well. God sets the lonely in families. Psalm 68, verse 6. I would say that about you. If I was describing you to another community, if I was speaking somewhere else, I would say, well, there are people that, that love well. That include. I read this last week. Those who live out radical, ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged, the Samaritans. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. It's radically ordinary hospitality. Can I ask you one question as I close? Do you see your home as a gift to share? Do you?